0: Last picture, uh, Pakistan, yes. is. Country slavery. Countries, obviously, we must completed so far, China, completed uh, Pakistan, Bhutan as well. We had discussed the visit of uh, the note sharing to India. That was the last part. <laughs> what else? After that, nothing has happened. So, now we shall. So, this is uh, which lecture? Uh, this is the seventh lecture? Yeah. Seventh lecture. So, we will complete that, our discussion on other neighboring countries today. So, let us uh, start our discussion with the uh, Maldives. also one of our neighbors which has been in news for the whole of last year. The country had undergone, a, you know, crisis, a democratic crisis. If you are aware, if you have been reading the newspapers, you must have read about it. So we'll discuss this crisis and also our relationship with Maldives in quite a detail. got its independence from the British in 1965. And uh, India's diplomatic relationship with Maldives starts in 1972. When I say diplomatic relationship starts, that means that India opened up its uh, embassy in Maldives in 1972, and that is when diplomatic relationship between these two countries did begin. And then one of the important aspects of India-Maldives bilateral relationship has been Operation Cactus of 1988. So what was Operation Cactus? The government in Maldives in 1988 was threatened by certain rebels. There were certain rebels which were trying to overthrow the government in Maldives in 1988. So there was a crisis-like situation in Maldives and the Maldivian president requested the Indian government to help. That is when India sent 1,600 soldiers to Maldives in order to help the Maldivian government Overcome this rebellion, this coup, attempted coup, and uh, we were able to help the Maldivian government. Maldivian government was able to stabilize itself because of India's uh, effective help, and that military operation where we had sent 1,600 soldiers to Maldives in 88, that is called Operation Cactus. So it's a very important aspect of India-Maldives relationship when we talk about the past. Also, what is the relevance of Maldives for us? What is the importance of Maldives as a neighbour? This is also <coughs> something which we should uh, understand. Maldives is a country which is essentially a group of islands. It's a group of 1200 coral islands. And it is, these islands are very strategically located in the Indian Ocean region. They are very strategically located in the Indian Ocean region. The islands are located next to the key shipping lanes of the world, the important shipping lanes of the world. It neighbors the islands, neighbors the key shipping lanes of the world. These shipping lanes are responsible for providing or ensuring uninterrupted energy supply to countries like India, China, Japan, Korea, East Asia, These shipping lanes are responsible for uninterrupted energy supply. If all these countries of the eastern hemisphere, if they have to, you know, buy oil and natural gas resources from some other parts of the world, which are the shipping lanes which are followed? So these countries of eastern hemisphere, they generally and especially countries east of India, they buy oil from West Asia, Okay. Essentially, the biggest provider of oil is West Asian countries and the shipping lanes which are used to ship the, this oil and resources, they run next to Maldives. So therefore, Maldives is very strategically located. Location in international region is very important, especially for the shipping lanes uh, which ensure uninterrupted energy supply to countries like China, Japan and India. Then also as a preeminent South Asian power, India has this aspiration of playing a role or acting as a net security provider in the Indian Ocean region. India has the aspiration to act as a net security provider in the Indian Ocean region. India wants to be the net security provider. Net security provider means that India being the most important power in South Asia wants to assert itself, wants to dominate the security of Indian Ocean region considering it the Indian Ocean region as its backyard. So that is the aspiration of India of becoming a net security provider. This will not be possible if we do not cooperate with countries like Maldives. Maldives is an essential part of those Indian Ocean region countries. Then, also, Maldives is a small country. Its population is, you know, somewhere around 400,000 people. So, a very small country. But even in this small country, 25,000 Indians work. 25,000 Indians, they work in Maldives. Their interests. Their rights, issues related to them, all of them makes Maldives very important for India. The government of India is concerned about the rights and concerns of these citizens, uh, Indian citizens working in Maldives. Then uh, we will discuss that today, but just at outset I'd like to open the discussion. The previous president of Maldives, his name was uh, Abdullah Yamin, Abdul Gaiu. He was more popularly known for his middle name which is Yamin. During Yamin's presidency Maldives had undergone a significant tilt and shift towards China. That has also been one of the major concerns for India. One of the major concerns for India in how to check this in terms of Maldives tilted towards China. Then also one more development during Yameen's presidency was that radicalization of the youth increased. As far as per capita terms is concerned, the amount of youth from Maldives, which have joined radical organizations like ISIS, in terms of per capita terms, is one of the highest in the world. Do you understand what do I mean when I say per capita terms? The amount of youth who have joined divided with the total population. Obviously not in absolute terms because the country is very small, but in per capita terms, the amount of youth which have joined radical organizations, like ISIS in the recent past, has been one of the highest. So radicalization of the youth in Maldives is also a major concern for India, because India would not want one of its peaceful neighbors to turn radical. That would aggravate the security of South Asia, the problems of security of South Asia. So these are the you know few reasons because of which Maldives has emerged as one of the most important and key neighbors of India in the Indian Ocean region. And India has such objectives in Maldives that uh, India should be able to check the rising Chinese influence here and India should be able to act as a net security provider in the Indian Ocean region. Now, let us also discuss before we move on. Let us also discuss about the recent democratic crisis in Maldives, which had unfolded last year and throughout the year, Maldives events in Maldives were reported in the newspapers. Maldives got its first democratically elected president appointed in two thousand nine and ten. His name was Mohammed Nashi. Mohammad Nasheed was the first democratically elected president appointed in Maldives. However, in the year 2012, he was forced to resign. In 2012, he was forced to resign. There were certain corruption allegations against him, and he was forced to resign. Later on, it, the details were, you know, when the details came out, it was found out that actually Nasheed was pressurized by certain individuals. On gunpoint, he was forced to resign. And then in 2013, a new president was appointed. His name was Abdullah Yameen Abdul Gayu, popularly known for his middle name, Yameen. Yameen became the president in 2013, and the moment he becomes the president, he makes a certain changes to the policies of Maldives and also various other you know, political systems in Maldives. First of all, he launches this you know, policy where he threatens and <coughs> imprisons all his political opponents. So his political opponents were made political prisoners. Muhammad Nasheed was also given a life sentence for his alleged corruption, you know, allegations. Therefore, Muhammad Nasheed during the presidency of Yamin, had fled the country and was not living in Maldives. He was living in exile in countries like England and Sri Lanka. So. Yamin, as a president, functioned like a dictator. His functioning was very, you know, undemocratic in nature. He tried to compromise all the democratic institutions of Maldives. He imprisoned the major opponents. Majority of his opponents were political prisoners. And then he also. Changed the foreign policy of Maldives and Maldives, a country which historically has been very close to India, close partner of India. He started following policies which were pro China. <laughs> Yamin followed very pro China policies. China and Maldives became a very strong partners of each other during the presidency of Yamin. Now what happened last year? In the beginning of the last year, the Supreme Court of Maldives gave a verdict. The Supreme Court of Maldives gave this verdict that all the political prisoners should be freed. All the political prisoners should be freed and also the Supreme Court reversed the Sentence the punishment which was given to Muhammad. The government, the Yameen government was asked to implement the Supreme Court verdict to free all the political prisoners. However, instead of implementing the verdict, the Yameen sent his security forces inside the Supreme Court and arrested the judges. (laughs) He arrested the judges and then declared an emergency in the country declared an emergency in the country which very badly compromised the democratic institutions of Maldives. The government of India was very upset with this, that the Yavin's policies and declaration of emergency is compromising democracy in Maldives. India objected to this, strongly criticized this, and strongly urged the Maldives government to restore democracy and uplift emergency. During this emergency in Maldives, the opposition members repeatedly, which also includes Mohammed Nasheed, repeatedly requested to India that India must play a proactive role in helping Maldives resolve this crisis Like India had done in 1988. What did we
1: do
0: in 1988? Operation Cactus. So similar expectations were being made out of India in the last year's crisis also by the opposition members. However, India did exercise caution and decided not to send military forces or defense forces to Maldives, because the two situations are not comparable anymore. In 1988, India was requested by the President of the Maldives. Maldivian government had requested. In this case, who was requesting? The opposition. So therefore, India did not see this as a right case to interfere. So India did not militarily interfere, but did put a lot of diplomatic pressure On Maldives to uplift the emergency and restore democracy. And it was just not India. All the major countries of the world, European Union, UK, US, everybody criticized Yamin's imposition of emergency in Maldives. During this crisis in Maldives, Yamin was supported by only one country, and that was China. China stood by Yamir. China was the sole supporter of his policies. After few months of emergency, finally emergency was uplifted. It was uplifted and fresh elections were announced in Maldives. India welcomed this because we had also you know, we wanted fresh elections and we wanted democracy to be restored in Maldives. However, it was considered that the elections uh, would be a uh, eyewash. It would be, uh, you know, walkover for Yamin because there was no effective opposition. Why was there no effective opposition? All the opponents were in prison. mohammad Nasheed was outside the country. The main opponent. So, therefore, it was considered that it is going to be a eyewash and it's going to be a complete walkover for Yami during elections. Also, he got a lot of support from China. However, the opposition was able to field a consensus candidate to fight Yami. The name of the consensus candidate was Ibrahim Mohammed (coughs) Soli. And to the surprise of everybody, to the surprise of India, to the surprise of Yami. To the surprise of the whole world, Ibrahim Mohammed Soli was able to defeat Yamin. He was able to defeat Yamin. India was hoping that this should happen because Yamin is pro China, opposition is pro India. So, Ibrahim Mohammed Soli was able to defeat Yamin. Yamin refused to accept the verdict of the election. Yameen made such claims that the elections were rigged, that electoral malpractices were done. He made such claims that the supporters of Soli were using disappearing ink. (laughs) Therefore, they they voted multiple times. (laughs) These are the kind of claims which he made. He also uh, argued that the election commissioners were biased after this announcement of his, the election commissioners fled the country. <laughs> and then he went back to the same Supreme Court, filed a petition in the Supreme Court of Maldives, arguing that with this plea that the elections should be cancelled, the verdict of the elections should be cancelled, a re-election should be held because the election has not been done in free and fair manner. But the Supreme Court, the same Supreme Court of bodies where he had arrested the judges <laughs> when they had asked him to release the political opponents. So that Supreme Court gave a verdict that nothing doing, there is no such evidence, whatever you are claiming is false. Therefore, you should accept the verdict and also ensure a peaceful transfer of power. So Supreme Court rejected all the claims of Yami. And gave a decision in order to, you know, ensure peaceful transfer of power. Even the Supreme Court of Maldives fixed up a date for the oath of the new president, and that was November 17. So after a lot of international pressure, a lot of domestic pressure, Yameen was finally, even though he was uh, very upset with the result and was not willing to accept it, finally agreed to, you know. Transfer power to the newly elected president Ibrahim Mohammed, who took oath in November 2018. Now, as far as India is concerned, India, Indian Prime Minister Prancer Narendra Modi, in his tenure of last five years, he has been a very active president as far as foreign policy making is concerned and is one of the rare prime ministers who have visited all India's neighbors during the tenure, which also includes Pakistan. So, just not uh, India's neighbors, also India's neighbors in the wider neighborhood region. For example, small countries in the Indian Ocean region. All the countries in the Indian Ocean region also has been visited by the Prime Minister. For example, Seychelles, Mauritius, Reunion Islands, all these countries. But there was only one country in our neighborhood where the Prime Minister was not able to visit during his tenure and that was Maldives. He had uh, planned the trip in 2015. In 2015 when the Indian Prime Minister was supposed to visit Seychelles, Reunion, and Mauritius. During that trip, Maldives was also part of the schedule. However, in the last minute, Maldives' leg of the schedule was cancelled. The reasons were given that the political situation in Maldives is not uh, up to the mark or is not stable. Therefore, the president, prime minister cannot visit The well-known reason which everybody knows was that the Prime Minister could not go because Yameen was very pro-China. And when he was not even willing to accommodate you, you, how can you visit such a place? So that is why he did not go. So it was the only country where the Prime Minister had not gone and visited and made an official visit, did not make an official visit to Maldives as the Prime Minister of India in the neighborhood, everywhere else, the Prime Minister has gone. So, on the day when Ibrahim Mohammed Sali did take oath in November 2018, just a few months back, Narendra Modi was the only foreign leader present for the oath-taking ceremony of Ibrahim Mohammed Sali. So, Prime Minister of India visited Maldives on the oath-taking ceremony of the new president. So on the oath-taking ceremony the new president, the Indian Prime Minister participated in that oath-taking ceremony and was the only international leader in the world to do so. What does this reflect? What does this reflect? That the new government in Maldives is, has a, does share a very good relationship with India. And the new Indian Prime Minister participating in the oath-taking ceremony does reflect that the Indian Prime Minister strongly backs, or the Indian government strongly backs, the new president. Whereas the previous president was? Pro-China. So that uh, was very significant and now that particular box has also been ticked mark. Maldives and has also been made, so all the neighbors have been visited by the of instructor. So, that did, so this is the democratic crisis. If you were wondering, Maldives was in news uh, throughout the last year, you should have idly followed and read the newspaper. If you have not, which is very unfortunate, then uh, this is what had happened in the last year about uh, Maldives. This is how uh, a political crisis unfolded, and this is how it finally got resolved. Okay, so then uh, we will talk about the China tilt also. But let us uh, first of all discuss, have a a, you know small discussion on how India-India's relationship has evolved over the years. One particular flashpoint I have already told you, Operation Cactus of 1988. Then India has also been one of the major development partners of Maldives in the past. India has been one of the major development partners of Maldives. (coughs) India has been responsible for helping Maldives build certain flagship institutions, <coughs> important institutions. For example, the Indra Gandhi Memorial Hospital. The Indra Gandhi Memorial Hospital in Maldives has been built with the help of India. Then there's two more inst- educational institutions which India has contributed to. <laughs> One is uh, the faculty of engineering technology and then there's a faculty of hospitality and tourism studies. Faculty of engineering technology and faculty of hospitality and tourism studies. You know, the backbone of the Maldives economy is tourism. So these three institutions are important examples of India's contribution to the development of Maldives. Apart from that, there is a history of India helping Maldives by giving them loans, credit for development. For example, uh, in the past, India had given a standby credit facility, a standby credit facility of hundred billion dollars and line of credit worth $40 million to Maldives. A standby credit facility of $100 million and line of credit worth $40 million to Maldives. India and Maldives in 1981 had also signed a trade agreement with each other. They had signed a trade agreement. To ensure export of essential commodities to Maldives. This was signed in 81. So it's not a free trade agreement, it was a trade agreement to facilitate export of essential commodities to Maldives. This trade agreement was signed in 1981 and that has been followed till date it is being implemented. So that means the trade relationship has also been very robust between both the countries. <coughs> now as far as the security is concerned, like I have already told you that India has the aspiration of becoming a net security provider. So there has been the naval presence of India in Maldives since 2009. There has been naval presence of India in Maldives since 2009, at the request of the Maldivian government. In 2009, who was in power? Nasheed was in power, he has been pro-India. So, since 2009, India has naval presence in Maldives at the request of Maldivian government. What is the presence? There are two helicopters, Dhruv helicopters. Two Dhruv helicopters which are manned by, one is manned by the Indian Navy, the other is manned by the coast guard, Indian coast guard, which are stationed in Maldives for its security. Two Indian helicopters, Dhruv helicopters, stationed in Maldives, manned by the Indian Navy and the Indian coast guard. That is the year 2011. A Trilateral Maritime Security Cooperation Initiative was launched. A Trilateral Maritime Security Cooperation Initiative was launched. And uh, because it is trilateral, so therefore three countries were part of it. India, Maldives, and Sri Lanka. These three signed a trilateral maritime security cooperation initiative in order to strengthen their maritime security. Then in the year 2016, an Indo-Maldivian action plan for defense was concluded between these two countries an Indo-Maldivian action plan for defence in 2016. This was done at the level of defence secretaries. The objective was to strengthen the defence cooperation. Indo-Maldivian action plan for defence in 2016. So these were the, you know, Certain important points which would help us understand that how India Maldives relationship has evolved over the years, whether it has been Operation Cactus or it has been the economic and development relationship or even the security relationship. And also the recent democratic crisis which have happened in Valdiv, that also we have discussed. <coughs> now, last year, if the throughout the last year, if you were reading the newspapers. Repeatedly there were editorials, repeatedly there were such opinions, reported that the Yamin government is a pro-China, is pro-China, this is something which was argued by everybody across the globe. So let us try and find out that what is that pro-China policy of Yamin? What did he do, what was, which were those actions which actually, led to the situation that Maldives became a very close partner of China. So in the last few years, what we have seen is that Maldives has emerged as one of the most important pearls in the string of pearls policy of China. It has emerged as one of the important pearls in the string of pearls policy of China. How? First of all when Muhammad Nasheed was the president he had given a contract to an Indian company to modernize the airport of Maldives. He had given a contract to the Indian company to modernize the international airport of Maldives. The company, the Indian company its name was GMR. You know what GMR? GMR is also responsible for maintaining and constructing the Terminal 3 in Delhi. So GMR, an Indian company, was given the contract to modernize the International Airport of maldives When Yamin came to power, he canceled the contract. He canceled the contract and instead he gave it to a Chinese company for eight hundred billion million. And recently, a project has been completed and inaugurated in Maldives, and which is that project? China has invested in Maldives in order to make a bridge between the airport and the capital island. Do you know that the international airport of Maldives is not on the capital island, it is on a separate island. The name of the island is Hulhule. And what is the name of the capital? Capital of Maldives? Male. So, these were, these are separate islands. Your airport is on this island. So, the Chinese, with the help of the Chinese investment, they have made a bridge between these two islands. It has been completed and inaugurated. It is now called China-Maldives Friendship Bridge. China-Maldives Friendship Bridge. Also, the Chinese President Xi Jinping, he visited Maldives in 2014 and Maldives joined the Belt and Road Initiative. Which India has boycotted, Maldives joined. Then in December 2017, Maldives signed a free trade agreement with China. Maldives signed an FTA with China, free trade agreement. Maldives have not signed FTA with India so far, but they have signed FTA with China in the year 2070, December 2070. They've got into an FTA with each other. Also, when we look at the Maldivian debt towards China, if you look at the total debt which Maldives have with respect to China, it's 1.3 billion dollars. $1.3 billion, which is quarter of the GDP of Maldives. It's one-fourth of the GDP of Maldives, $1.3 billion. Also, we saw that during the democratic crisis, Yamin enjoyed support only from one country, and that was China. This naval presence which I have told you, the two helicopters which have been stationed in Maldives. During Yamin's presidency, Maldivian government repeatedly requested the Indian government to take back the helicopters. They repeated, they very politely requested that you take back the gift of these helicopters. We don't want them anymore. Naturally, this was being done under the pressure of China. After many rounds of negotiations between India and Maldives, finally India was able to convince Maldives that we will not take them back. But this was a very big controversy during the Yamin's presidency. So Maldives has got into a debt trap with China. 1.3 billion dollars quarter of its GDP is the amount of debt it has to pay to China. It has signed an FTA with China. Under China's pressure, they wanted to return back the helicopters. Also, the China Maldives Friendship Bridge, Maldives joining Belt and Road Initiative. The contract to modernize the airport went to a Chinese company. All these are some flashpoints, certain important points which would help you realize that the Maldives has emerged as one of the important pearls in the string of pearls policy of yeah. China. This is the tint which we talk about. And this is what India has been concerned. Historically, if you see, India-Maldives have been very close, very close partners. Operation Captors, then India helping Maldives in its development, and then also during Mohammed Nashi's uh, presidency, India-Maldives were very close. But the moment Yamin comes into power, the policy of Maldives uh, didn't change. But now that Ibrahim Mohammed Soli has been elected, we are seeing that all of this would be checked, and again, India and Maldives will become very close partners, and we have already seen that happen. Ibrahim Mohammed Soli, during his oath-taking, Prime Minister Modi was present, and the first country which Soli has visited thereafter has been India. He came to India in December 2018. And uh, during his India visit, uh, certain important announcements were made. Solly announced uh, that uh, he reiterated that uh, India is the closest friend of Maldives, and he would follow a India first policy. He described India as the closest friend, and did reiterate that he would follow India's India-first policy. Both countries also decided that they would strengthen their maritime security cooperation. That they would strengthen their maritime security cooperation. What is the amount of debt which Maldives has to pay to China? $1.3 billion. So during his visit, India made this announcement that India would give a financial assistance package to Maldives worth $1.4 billion. Financial assistance package to Maldives worth $1.4 billion. So this financial assistance package includes credit lines, also budgetary support, it's a mixture of credit lines and budgetary support, so this was also a very significant announcement, this would help Maldives come out of the debt trap of China and also strengthen its relationship with India, so this is the latest which has happened and Negotiations are going on between India and Maldives as we speak. Very soon, we are expecting that India and Maldives would also sign a free trade, and there are negotiations also going on because the opposition has been very critical of the opposition. Maldives has been the opposition, which were opposition earlier, now is in power. They were very critical of Yamin's pro-China policies. They were making such arguments that Yamin is selling the country to China. Now that they have come into power, Nasheed has returned back to the country. He is one of the chief advisors of Ibrahim Mohammed Soli. Mm-hmm. and now the present government is in the process of reviewing all the agreements which Yamin had signed with China. And they are aggressive demands in Maldives that the FTA which Yamin had signed with China should be scrapped. It has not happened so far, but from the Maldivian government itself, like, like Nasheed himself has advocated that we should scrap the agreement. So all these are steps in the right direction now. We are seeing slowly and steadily, all the damage which Yamin had done is now being checked by the new government. They are trying to take corrective steps. And the visit of Solli to India And India announcing a very big financial assistance package for Maldives is also a step in the right direction, which would strengthen our relationship with Maldives, which would strengthen the maritime security cooperation, and which would also help us check the outgrowth of China in our neighborhood. Okay, So this is what has happened. As far as India and Maldives is concerned, in the past one, one and a half years, certainly, one of the neighbourhoods which has been in use very frequently, and I am expecting that you might even get a question on Maldives this year because of the fact of all these new developments. So, if you've got any doubts, you may ask. Otherwise, we will move on and discuss the next country. Yes. China is also in negotiations trying to convince Soli to not uh, renegotiate or review the treaties which Yahweh had signed. Those negotiations are
1: going
0: on. Budgetary support is you know, a form of a support which would help them reduce their fiscal deficit. Because the fiscal deficit of Maldives have grown over the years. Because of the huge amount of debt which they are in, so budgetary support would reduce that fiscal Credit lines are form of soft loans, which are done to, which are given to implement development projects, and are long term soft loans. Not but a stand-by credit facility is more open-ended, where lines of credit are always given for specific purposes. Both are in the form of loans. Yes? Not because of the presence of China, because of the radical, because of the you know, uh, extremist policies of Yari, Uh Maldives is a country which has a majority population of majority Muslim population and Yamin's policies have been undemocratic, very aggressive, that has also contributed to radicalization. Okay? If the leader is moderate, obviously you would have moderate policies. But in this case, that was not case. Anything else? So now I think now we should move on and uh, we will talk about the next country which is Sri Lanka, again a country in the Indian Ocean. region. As far as the india Lanka relationship is concerned, again a close partner of India, very strategically located neighbor in the Indian Ocean region. And the ties between these two countries are also historical in nature. They do share historical, cultural, civilizational ties with each other. The majority population in Sri Lanka is the Buddhist population, which are also called Sinhalese. And Buddhism in Sri Lanka has travelled from where? From India. If you have read your ancient history textbooks properly, you must be aware that during the rule of Ashoka, messengers were sent to Sri Lanka to spread the message of Buddhism. And it's just not the Buddhist link. Even if you look at the Hindu mythology, you would find strong links with Sri Lanka. What are the links in the Hindu mythology? That it was, Lanka is seen as the home of Ravan. It's a very important character in Ramayana. And uh, this chain of islands between India and Sri Lanka, in the Park Strait, is called as Ram-silv. So therefore, culturally, religiously, historically, these two countries do share a very rich past. (coughs) Linguistically also. There, are, there is a sizable portion of Tamil population in Sri Lanka living in the northern provinces of Sri Lanka, which has roots with the Tamil Nadu. So there is a religious, cultural, linguistic interaction. a Legacy of religious, cultural, and linguistic interaction between these two countries. Then. Uh, before we discuss the present the realities, let us also discuss how India Sri Lanka relations have evolved over the years first. The majority population in Sri Lanka is called the Sinhalese, the Buddhist population. It's around 70%. And one of the biggest minorities in Sri Lanka is the Tamils, which are living in the northern provinces of Sri Lanka predominantly in northern provinces. Now, in Sri Lanka, there has been this problem that the majority community of the Sinhalese have discriminated against the Tamil population. They have, the Tamil population in Sri Lanka have not been given the equal rights, have not been given the equal status, The provinces where they have been living have not been given the equal amount of resources. And this discrimination actually got institutionalized by passing of the Sinhala Only Act in 1956. Adoption of the Sinhala Only Act in 1956 in Sri Lanka institutionalized the discrimination against the Tamil population. Naturally, the Tamil population Sri Lanka had grievances. These grievances kept on simmering, finally took shape in the form of an organization which was formed in 1976 called LTT. This is Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam. Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam. This was formed in 1970s for the liberation of the Tamil land in Sri Lanka. The organization was headed by a leader called uh, Prabhakaran. This organization, started an armed conflict with the government of Sri Lanka in 1983. In 1983, they started an armed conflict with the government of Sri Lanka for the liberation of the Tamil land. During this armed conflict, it was popularly believed that LTT enjoyed support from India's intelligence agencies. Because India have always they've always had this soft corner for this Tamil population in Sri Lanka because of its Indian roots. That is how in the year 1987, India and Sri Lanka signed an accord with each other, called the India-Sri Lanka Accord. What was the India-Sri Lanka Accord? What was the bargain here? The India-Sri Lanka Accord says, that ATTE will declare a ceasefire and disarm itself. That it will disarm itself, it will stop fighting the armed conflict which it has been doing. And instead, the government of Sri Lanka would pass a constitutional amendment. The government of Sri Lanka would pass a constitutional amendment, would adopt a constitutional amendment, what will that constitutional amendment do, according to you? It would give equal rights to Tamil population, and it would also result into the devolution of power. That means some more powers and autonomy would be given to northern provinces. Devolution of power. This amendment was called as the 13th amendment. It was called as the 13th amendment. So, 13th Amendment, Sri Lanka would pass the 13th Amendment and uh, implement it, and in return, the LDT would disarm itself. This was the deal, this was the bargain which was made in the India Sri Lanka Accord, which would also resolve the civil war. A civil war was going on in Sri Lanka between LDT and the government, and would also resolve <laughs> the problems of the Tamil community so this particular accord was signed between india and the sri lankan government when rajiv gandhi was the prime minister and it was believed that whatever india has agreed the ldt would follow they also promised to follow but after the signing of the accord ldt refused to follow ldt refused to follow they say they argued that we do not trust the sri lankan government and we want liberation, complete liberation, and we therefore would not follow the accord. So, entity refused to follow, it went back on its words, and kept on fighting the armed struggle. That is how, in the year 1987, India sent its security forces to Sri Lanka. And that is called IPKF. Indian Peacekeeping Force was sent to Sri Lanka in 1987. This Indian peacekeeping force was sent to Sri Lanka in order to undertake Operation Pavan. The name of the military operation was Operation Pavan. The objective of Operation Pavan was to take control of the bastion of LTT, the stronghold of LT, which was a Jaffna, an area in northern Sri Lanka called Jaffna was the stronghold of LTTE. So, objective was to take control of Jaffna and also to enforce disarmament of LTT. To enforce disarmament of LTT and take control of Jaffna was the objective of Operation Power. That is how IP, that is why IPKF was sent to Sri Lanka in 19. 19- What do you think? Were they able to achieve the objectives? No, they were not. They were not. The Indian IPKF, they got into a very bitter warfare with the LTP fighters. Guerrilla warfare did start. And uh, in the result, India lost 1,200 soldiers. 1,200 Indian soldiers were killed and India was not able to fulfill the objectives which it had set forth itself. Only limited success was achieved. LTT was weakened to certain extent but complete objectives were not achieved. After three years of this bitter guerrilla warfare and after the loss of 1,200 soldiers, Finally, in 1990, India decided to call back IPKF. IPKF was called back, and then in the next year, 1991, Rajiv Gandhi, the former prime minister, who had taken the decision to sign the accord, who was responsible to take the decision to send IPKF to Sri Lanka, was assassinated. He was assassinated, Rajiv Gandhi was assassinated in 1991. And who assassinated, who killed Rajiv Gandhi? LTT. LTT's fighters, they terrorists, they killed Rajiv Gandhi in an assassination attempt. It was a suicide bomber attack. Uh, you know, certain members of LTT came to meet Rajiv Gandhi in one of his election rallies in South India did blow themselves up and Rajiv Gandhi also died in the attack. Very unfortunate incident and uh, therefore the it's a very important part of India, Sri Lanka past. How should India try to interfere in Sri Lanka's affairs and in return were not very successful and even lost a prime minister who was assassinated. In fact, there has been uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, movies also made on this whole episode on how Rajiv Gandhi was assassinated It doesn't mean that you go back to them and start watching okay. it's more than enough whatever we have discussed is more than enough for you, no more details are required. So, that is how uh, since then we have seen, since 1991 India has refrained from this India has refrained from interfering into the political matters of Sri Lanka. And instead, India has tried to develop a relationship with Sri Lanka, which is based on a strong economic and security partnership. Now this uh, civil war, which was going on, it kept on, you know, Uh, being fought in Sri Lanka because LTT was not disarmed by Operation Pagan. Finally this civil war came to an end in 2009. It came to an end in 2009 when finally the military of Sri Lanka was able to defeat LTT and they were able to kill Brabhakran. Prabhakran was killed and LTT defeated in 2009. And civil war ended. The, this was done under the leadership of a very strong president, Mahinda Rajapaksa. Mahinda Rajapaksa was the president of Sri Lanka when this victory was achieved by the Sri Lanka's defense forces. So that is how this problem in Sri Lanka has ended. However, the civil war might have ended, but there has been many allegations on Sri Lanka's armed forces for human rights violations during the civil war. That they did indulge into human rights violations. United Nations Human Rights Council is conducting inquiries into it. As we speak, the inquiries are still going on. Commissions have been appointed. And they are listening to human rights violation cases against the defense forces of Sri Lanka. India has also supported those inquiries. So that has been the case. So when we talk about the india sri lanka relationship, obviously IPKF episode has been uh, one of the unfortunate uh, incidents which did take place and did not work in the interest of India. But since then, we have seen that India has tried to develop a strong economic relationship with Sri Lanka. India is Sri Lanka's largest trading partner today, globally. Globally, India is Sri Lanka's largest trading partner. India had signed a FTA with Sri Lanka in 1998, which was implemented in 2000. India and Sri Lanka signed a free trade agreement in 1998 and was implemented in 2000. The present volume of trade between India and Sri Lanka is $4.7 billion. $4.7 billion is the volume of bilateral trade between India and Sri Lanka. Also, apart from this strong economic relationship, India has also been, like with the case of Maldives, in the case of Sri Lanka also, India has been one of the leading development partners of Sri Lanka. India has tried to help Sri Lanka develop itself, especially because of the damage which has been done to the country because of the civil war, and B, because of the tsunami which did take place in the year 2004. So, this civil war which was fought in the northern provinces and the tsunami has badly damaged the infrastructure of Sri Lanka. India has tried to help. For example, India has given assistance to Sri Lanka. To help IDP's, help IDP's, assistance has been given, financial assistance has been given to Sri Lanka in order to help assist IDP's. Do you know what are IDP's? Internally Displaced Persons. Internally Displaced Persons. Why do you think there are internally displaced persons in Sri Lanka? Because of the civil war, the people, many people from northern provinces have been forced to flee their homes, to save their lives and settle elsewhere in Sri Lanka. Do you know of any examples of IDPs inside India? Kashmiri Pandits is one of the most visible examples of IDPs in India. So India decided to help give assistance to Sri Lanka to help IDPs. Then uh, India has also helped Sri Lanka in the rehabilitation of northern railway lines. Rehabilitation of Northern Railway lines. Why do you think Northern Railway lines needs rehabilitation? Why Northern Railway Lines? because the northern provinces were the theater of the civil war. And that is why the tracks there, railway lines there, was damaged badly. India has also completed the construction of a cultural center at Jaffna. Cultural center at Jaffna. India has also done the restoration of a temple in Sri Lanka the name of the temple is thirukithiswaram temple restoration of the thirukithiswaram temple has been done by india in sri lanka then india has also helped sri lanka in the repair and upgradation of the damaged colombo batara railway line colombo Matara Railway Line. This particular railway line was damaged during the tsunami and India has helped Sri Lanka in the repair and upgradation of the colombo matara Railway Line. So this is how India has tried to develop a strong economic and a development relationship with Sri Lanka in the recent past we have seen this happen. However, there is one more important aspect of India Sri Lanka relationship which we cannot miss to discuss. What Yameen had done to Maldives is the same what Rajapaksa has done to Sri Lanka. What has Rajapaksa done? has followed very strong, very pro-China policies. So during the presidency of Mahinda Rajapaksa, Sri Lanka has become a very strong partner of China, and China has been able to make significant investments in Sri Lanka during the presidency of Rajapaksa. We will discuss those investments. A, Sri Lanka has joined BRI. As part of the BRI project, China started making investments into into Sri Lanka in the form of developing ports and ports-related infrastructure. One port which has been developed in Sri Lanka because of the Chinese investments, is called the Dota port. $301 million were borrowed from China in order to make this port, Dota port. $301 million. Now India has also been giving line of credits to countries. So if you borrow money from India in the form of a line of credit, The general practice is that India gives a rate of interest of 1% or less. India offers the line of head at the rate of interest of 1% or less. If a particular country borrows from the World Bank, World Bank also called the IBRD, International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. If a particular country borrows from the World Bank, the rate of interest which is charged is 0.25% to 3%. This is the range. 025 to 3% It will depend upon the health of the country's economy. China, in this particular case, lending $301 million to Sri Lanka to make the Hambantota port, has charged 6.3% interest rate. And uh, the port has been complete it has been inaugurated, beautiful port, very well made, but then uh, it has no business. The Sri Lankan government, is uh, they had thought that it will do great business and a lot of revenue would be earned and we would be able to pay back the installments. That has not happened. It is working well, okay fine, but the amount of business, the amount of revenue which is being collected is not, sufficient enough to pay back for the installments of China, which they have to pay back to China. So what has the Chinese government done? So they've told the Sri Lankans that we are very well aware that you are a poor country and we are very sympathetic towards you. We know you can't pay back, so why do you want to don't pay back? We, we, we shall sign, a, we'll give you some more money and let us sign a debt-to-equity-swap agreement. So the Chinese government has signed a $1.2 billion debt-to-equity-swap agreement with Sri Lanka. Do you know what is debt-to-equity-swap agreement? Debt-to-equity-swap agreement, kea-ata? Yes, if you are not able to pay back the debt then the company or the bank or the country which have given you the debt, they would buy they would get equity in that particular business. For example, recently has happened with jet airways, they are not able to pay back the debt, the, Mr. Boyle has resigned and the bank has started running the airways. Okay, So this is the debt to equity swap agreement, so a $1.2 billion dollar, Debt to equity swap agreement was signed between China and Sri Lanka as a result of which China has bought 70% stake in the Humber Tota port. 70% stake in the Humber Tota port has been bought by China. And not just this, China has acquired the Humber Tota port for a lease period of 99 years. So China has acquired the Humban Tota port for a lease period of 99 years. So for the next 99 years, the Humban port is a Chinese port. The Chinese would manage it, they are responsible for it, they have acquired it on lease. So this is a very big matter of concern for India. That the, this is what the string of policies, that the Chinese have been able to you know, take control of a port in Sri Lanka, very close to India's coastline. So, major concern, in fact, India also has concerns that China might use a Humbertota port for military mobilization in future, for docking their naval submarines and aircraft carriers and other things. The Sri Lankan government has repeatedly, uh, you know, released statements saying uh, Specifically addressing India's concern that they will never allow this to happen. How much they can prevent, God knows. So, this is a major concern. But Mahinda Rajapaksa did not stop here. He also borrowed $190 million from China more in order to make an airport in Humbandota. The seaport has been made. $190 million has been borrowed from China to make an airport in in, uh, Ambatyota. The name of the airport is Matala Rajapaksa International Airport. Matala Rajapaksa International Airport. The airport has also been completed and inaugurated. Again, very well made, beautiful airport. But then, uh, it also has one more distinction and that distinction is that it is uh, popularly called in the world as the emptiest airport in the world. (laughs) It has a distinction of being the emptiest international airport in the world. The airport has been developed but nobody wants to fly to Humboldt or fly out of there. Therefore, no airlines are operating. Very few private airlines are even interested in operating from the Humpan Tota Airport. So therefore, this airport is also going into gross losses. Again, the same process is being repeated. They are not able to pay back installments to China. And China uh, was again trying to repeat the whole process and even take the airport. Uh, But this has not happened so far, and India has jumped in and tried to prevent it, because now, Rajapaksa is not the president anymore. Rajapaksa is not the president anymore. Rajapaksa government was overthrown and was replaced by a new government, a new political system altogether. President Sri Sena was appointed, and a new system has been developed in Sri Lanka, where the power now is shared between the president and the prime minister. Prime minister. So, Sirisena is the president, and Ranil Wickremesinghe is the prime minister. So, this is the new system. Now, these they have been they have been following policies which are not entirely pro-China like Rajapaksa used to follow. So India, after the you know replacement of uh, Rajapaksa as the leader, has been trying to develop, again, renew its ties with Sri Lanka in the field of economic cooperation, security concerns, and far less on political matters, not on political matters anymore, because we have already had an experience with the IPKF. So we are renewing the ties now, Ranil Wickremesinghe, the Prime Minister of Sri Lanka, last year in 2018 visited India. During the visit, India made this announcement that India would give more assistance to IDPs. We have already been given to IDPs, more fresh assistance to IDPs was announced. Then India also decided India and Sri Lanka got into this uh, understanding that India will be allowed to manage the Matala Rajapaksa International Airport. So India has got this permission from Sri Lanka now that India will be allowed to manage the Matala Rajapaksa International Airport. Obviously this is possible in, by, only if India would invest there, maybe, uh, contribute funds in order to pay back the loans of China. Lot of experts have criticized this, That why is India doing this? This is a loss making project. It has no benefit, an empty airport. What do you, are you going to manage there? So, but uh, obviously India doesn't see it as an economic investment. India see it as a strategic investment because the seaport in Humpantota is with China. China. So India has got now the airport. So this would help us balance China in Humpantota. So India therefore has, during the visit of has got the permission to manage the Rajapaksa airport. India has also signed an agreement with Sri Lanka on the recent visit, that India would develop a port in Sri Lanka. And the name of the port is Trinko-Mali. Trinko is a new port which India will develop in Sri Lanka. This agreement has also been signed. Then, uh, India and Sri Lanka, India also made this commitment to Sri Lanka. That India would help Sri Lanka in building, constructing housing units. Housing units for the needy. and where? In Humbad So India would give them funds to construct housing units in Humbad So all these major agreements have been signed between India and Sri Lanka. During the recent visit of Ranul Vikramasinghe to? India. One very significant understanding on Matala Rajapaksa, international. international the Then Mali Malihas then IDPs, more assistance to IDPs, and housing units, okay? So this is what India has done. So now that Rajul Bakrameshik and Sirisena is in charge of the government, Mahinda Rajapaksa is not there anymore. Like we have been doing in the case of Maldives, similarly in the case of Sri Lanka also, we are following strategies to strengthen the relationship again, and also to ensure that India should be able to balance and check China in, So that is India's strategy, how to counter China. Now, also, last uh, in the last month of 2018, December 2018, January 2018, if you have been reading the newspapers, you must be very well aware that Sri Lanka also went through a democratic crisis. Now, what was that that democratic crisis that was scare for India? What was that? When Ranul Vikramasinghe went back home, so he had come to India, signed all these deals which I discussed, he went back home. Just few days after he went back home, he was dismissed by the president. The president replaced him and replaced him with the new prime minister. And the new prime minister was Mahinda Rajapaksa. So, why did, did he do this? Because there was some ego tussle between the president and the prime minister. Because of, we don't need not go into that ego tussle, whatever personal problems they had with each other. <laughs> the president replaced the prime minister, where Ranul Vikramasinghe was, you know, replaced by the new prime minister, Mahinda Rajapaksa. president removed him from his post, removed Ranul Vikramasinghe from the post of prime minister. However, Ranul Vikramasinghe enjoyed support in the parliament. The parliament of Sri Lanka twice, not once, twice passed a resolution to show their support for Ranil Vikramasinghe. So Ranul Vikramasinghe therefore argued that when Prime Minister, when I have the support in the parliament and Rajapaksa doesn't have, then how can I be removed? This is unconstitutional. Therefore, he refused to vacate office. He refused to vacate. Or he refused to vacate the official bungalow of the prime minister. He continued to live there and continued to claim that he is still the prime minister. Rajapaksa also joined as new prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> he also made a cabinet and ministers to vote. <laughs> so, for seven weeks in Sri Lanka, there are two people claiming to be prime minister. <laughs> This was a comedy of errors. And Siri Sena, adding to this comedy, were making comments which were hilarious, like Siri Sena said that, Ra wants to kill me. <laughs> he made such statements that I might be killed by Rao, my life is under threat because of Rao. He was trying to suggest that because I have appointed Ratabaksa, India must be upset with me, therefore I will be killed. So these were all statements made for domestic consumption. For rep- it all reflects the bitter politics in Sri Lanka. Finally, the Supreme Court of Sri Lanka stepped in and gave a verdict that whatever is happening is grossly unconstitutional. You can't allow this. The person who enjoys support in the parliament should be appointed as the Prime Minister. Who was? <laughs> Ranul Vikraman Twice Parliament passed the resolution in his support. Therefore, after the verdict of the Supreme Court, Sirisena was forced to correct this, and Sirisena therefore finally reappointed Randall Victor as the Prime Minister of Sri Lanka. And this crisis was resolved. And now very soon we will have fresh elections in Sri Lanka in the months to come. So this is the <laughs> democratic crisis which just unfolded in Sri Lanka a few months back where Rajapaksa was again reported and that certainly was not in India's interest, but now that has been resolved. Apart from this, all this what we have discussed, the China factor, China state, India's strategy to counter it and the historical evolution of ties, India and Sri Lanka relationship There is one more issue and that is the fisherman problem. They have a fisherman problem with each other. Why Why do they have a fisherman problem? they are not enemy states like india and pakistan india and pakistan has a fishermen problem because of a Creek dispute but why india and sri lanka has it they are friendly states they should be able to resolve it they have this problem because of a practice called bottom trawling <coughs> bottom trawling Now, what is bottom trawling? Bottom trawling is a fishing practice where you attach heavy weights to fish nets. Where you attach heavy weights to the fish nets, and then those fish nets are dropped into the sea because the heavy weights have been attached to the fish net. Therefore, the fish nets would reach the bottom of the seabed, and then you trawl the fishnets and you catch everything which is there on the seabed. But unfortunately when you see the catch only 5 to 10% is fish. The remaining 90% what is it? Corals, seaweed, sea vegetation, other important uh, entities of the ecosystem of the sea this is obviously possible when you have some shallow waters you can't do it in deep sea and uh, this chain of islands which is there between india and sri lanka these are shallow waters so india sri lanka the farmers uh, the fishermen of india and sri lanka both historically have been following this practice of bottom trawling but uh, this is a destructive practice why is this this practice destructive Because it damages the ecosystem of the sea. Which would do what? What would be one big consequence if the ecosystem of the sea is damaged? The fish count in the future would decrease. The fish count would decrease in future. So one must not follow such practices and adopt better methods of fishing. Sri Lanka's fishermen have done so. Sri Lanka's fishermen has evolved over the years. They have adopted better fishing methods. For example, they have embraced new technologies and have started doing deep sea fishing. So with the help of new technology, Sri Lankan fishermen have stopped doing bottom trawling and they have started engaging in <coughs> better techniques, newer practices like deep sea fishing. You know what is deep sea fishing? So rather than fishing around the coast, you go into deep sea with the help of big trawlers and fish there. That's a better method. That would not damage the ecosystem of the sea. That's what the Sri Lankan fishermen have started doing, but the Indian fishermen are still doing water trawling. And the Sri Lankan fishermen has complained that because the Indian fishermen are still doing bottom trawling, the ecosystem is getting damaged. (coughs) That is why the Sri Lankan government has banned bottom trawling. The Sri Lankan government has banned bottom trawling that you cannot do this. Now that is why, because the Indian fishermen continue to follow this, whenever and now they share common waters, and if the Indian fishermen are caught doing this towards the territory of Sri Lanka, then uh, the Sri Lankan coast guard, they arrest Indian fishermen and they confiscate their sea vessels. If the Indian fishermen are caught doing water trawling, they are arrested by Sri Lanka's authorities, which has caused the fishermen problem between India and in order to address this problem, India and Sri Lanka has formed a joint working group. They have formed a joint working group in 2016. India and Sri Lanka formed a joint working group in 2016. This joint working group has been formed to address the problem between India and Sri Lanka, the fishermen problem. What commitment India has made to Sri Lanka? India has assured Sri Lanka That India would phase out bottom trawling. That India would phase out bottom trawling. How can bottom trawling be phased out if you have to? You will have to provide awareness to the fishermen. You will have to give them education. You will have to help them adopt better methods, new technologies. All this is what what government must do in order to resolve this problem. Then only bottom trawling can be phased out. It cannot be banned overnight because it would affect the livelihood of thousands of fishermen. So it has to be phased out in this manner and this is what the government of India is trying to do and must do also in the future and the joint working group which has been formed between India and Sri Lanka is helping both countries address this problem. So this is the fisherman dispute between India and Sri Lanka. So these are all India Sri Lanka issues. If you have any doubts, you may ask. Otherwise, we will move on and discuss the next country. So next country which I want to discuss with you is Nepal. Have we discussed Nepal? as far as India is concerned. It's a buffer state between India and China. It's a buffer state between India and China. It's a small state which is sandwiched between these two hostile giant neighbors. That is why also at times the the experts say that Nepal is like a yam between two rocks. So that is the status of Nepal. What is India's ties with Nepal? If you look at them historically, do you know which is the majority population in Nepal? Hindu population. And uh, therefore, there are historically, we have cultural, civilizational and religious ties with Nepal. There are many Hindu temples in Nepal which are very important pilgrim sites as far as India's Hindu population is concerned. Also, when we talk about India-Nepal relationship, India and Nepal, they share entirely porous borders. Entirely porous borders. In fact, uh, you can just walk into Nepal and you wouldn't even realize that you have come into a new country. If you go to the India-Nepal border, you would find houses which are located at the border, and the front gate of the house opens up in India, and the back gate opens up into
1: Nepal.
0: That is the situation. The entire, the populations are completely amalgamated with each other, entirely porous waters. You can travel to Nepal without any documents. And vice versa is also possible. The Nepalese are, under the Indian law, they are allowed to work in India. They are allowed to work in India in the private and the government sector both. The Nepalese, they allow, they work in the private sector in India, they are also allowed to work in the government sector. They can even write the civil services examination. They can also write the civil services examination and join civil services in India. Except only three services IS, IPS, and IFS. All other services are open to Nepalese. And not can, they do write also and get selected. Probably some of them are sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the Nepalese can. have been, not can have been working in India's defence forces as well. Do you know about the Gurkha regiment? Yes. The Gurkha regiment of the Indian military is constituted of soldiers from Nepal. Then Indian Nepalese have also been working in the you know paramilitary forces as well. They can buy property here. The Nepalese can buy property here. The Nepalese also, at the same time, can open bank accounts in India. All of this is allowed. Whatever I have have told you is not happening illegally. This is all allowed under India's law. But vice versa is not there. The Indians don't work for the Nepal, Nepalese government, Indians cannot. Indians can't write their civil service examination. Indians can't open bank accounts there. Indians can't buy property there. This is only a gesture which India has extended to Nepal. The reciprocity India has not demanded for reciprocity. Now, why is, how all of this is possible? How is all of this possible? There are around 600,000 Nepalese working in India right now. So how is all of this possible? Which law, which treaty allows this? The Friendship Treaty between India and Nepal. The Friendship Treaty between India and Nepal was signed in the year 1950. And as a result, and that friendship treaty allows all of this that porous borders, the Japanese can work in India, they can buy property in India, they can open bank accounts in India without reciprocity. <laughs> the treaty, the friendship treaty between India and the power of 1950 says that Nepal cannot sign any defense deals or any defense arrangements with any other country in the world without the permission of India. Nepal cannot buy weapons from any other country, they cannot sign any defense deal with any other country without the permission of India. So this is the Friendship Treaty of 1950. On the basis of this, the relationship between India and Nepal has developed over the years. However, one also must not forget that Nepal over the years have changed. Nepal, When Nepal had signed the Friendship Treaty with India in 1950, at that time Nepal used to be a monarchy, an absolute monarchy. However, over the years what we have seen, that the monarchy has been replaced by a multi-party democracy in Nepal. Nepal today, as we see, if you look at Nepal right now, it has become a multi-party democracy. But this change has not happened overnight. This change has taken years and decades. And during the change certain events have also happened which have alienated Nepal from India. And instead Nepal has gone more closer to China. Now why has that happened, let us try and understand. So as far as Nepal is concerned, the First Janandolan happened in the year 1990. demand democracy did take place in 1990 as a result of which Nepal adopted a new constitution. A new constitution was adopted in 1990 which introduced elections in Nepal, which introduced elections in Nepal. However, still major powers were kept with the monarch even though elections were introduced, but the king was still very strong. And major powers were still kept with the monarch, with the king, even though elections were introduced. Therefore, democracy in a, symbolically was introduced, whereas still major powers were exercised by the king. That is a lot of people, even after the Jan Andolan and after the new constitution of 1990, lot of people especially youth in nepal was dissatisfied and they started a violent struggle a maoist insurgency so a maoist insurgency erupted in mid 90s in nepal maoist parties they followed violent methods to fight for against the government to demand democracy and self-rule. Therefore, this Maoist insurgency of the 90s was greatly responsible for huge amount of bloodshed in Nepal. And was a concern for India also, because India has also been suffering from the same Maoist problem, the Naxalites problem. So it was a security concern for India that the next lights in India, the Maoists in India should not develop links with Maoists in Nepal. That would make a network of Maoists across the border which which would aggravate our security threats. Then as we enter the 21st century, The same situation was being continued, but a very important event happens, uh, important and at the same time very unfortunate. Event did take place in Nepal. The Nepalese prince, the son of the king, he, one fine day, I don't know what happened to him, he picked up his service revolver and killed his family. He shot his father, shot his mother, shot all his siblings and then shot himself and died. So he killed the whole royal family, killed himself also. This was a very horrific and an unfortunate event, widely reported all over the world. Nobody till date has any, you know, uh, uh, confirmed reports or any, you know, proven uh, argument that why he had done. There have been so many inquiries which have been done. There are so many conspiracy theories also going up on out there to explain his behavior, but nobody knows the real answer. Even Scotland Yard has done inquiry into this. They were given the responsibility. Scotland Yard is the investigating agency of England, and they were also not able to, you know, actually find out. There are so many conspiracy theories. If you would say that he was going through a bad breakup or something or something. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, he went mad and killed his family or anything like that. So there are many such stories out there. Whatever the stories are, we are not concerned. We are not talking. All we know is that what he did, his madness, killing his whole family, killing the king, killing himself, weakened monarchy in Nepal. Monarchy was weakened and uh, the, the king who was very popular the king who was very effective was assassinated the next in line his son was also killed so monarchy considerably weakened the king's younger brother that became the king and people did not accept him monarchy was weakened and therefore the push towards democracy became more strong in Nepal after this. And in 2005, the Maoists, in 2005, they signed an accord with the mainstream political parties. The Maoists, they signed an accord with the mainstream political parties in 2005. Therefore, the Maoists left the violent struggle and started following peaceful methods for their political (laughs) objectives. That they signed an accord with the mainstream parties where, as a result of this accord, they came overground and joined the mainstream politics. The Maoists joined the mainstream politics after this accord in 2005. And in 2008, in 2008 Nepal elected a constituent assembly. a 601 member constituent assembly why do you elect a Who the constituent assembly the constituent assembly elect to make a new constitution so in 2008 they elected a new constituent assembly the mandate was to make a new constitution an entirely democratic constitution where all powers will be with the elected prime minister This Constituent Assembly was given a mandate to do the job in two years, that new constitution should be ready by two years, but uh, the Constituent Assembly missed the deadline. The deadline was extended four times. They were still not able to adopt the new constitution. Then finally, in the year 2012, the Supreme Court of Nepal intervened and they suspend dissolved the Constituent Assembly because the Constituent Assembly was not able to do the job which it was elected for. Therefore, in 2013, after the intervention of the Supreme Court, in 2013, new Constituent Assembly was elected. A new Constituent Assembly was elected on the same lines of the previous one, and this new Constituent Assembly was also given the same job in the same amount of years. Two years, new constitution. The new constitutional assembly which was elected in 2013, it also missed the deadline. It was also not able to make a new constitution for Nepal. So nobody else is stopping Nepal from becoming democratic but their own people. So why why do you think the Constituent Assemblies in Nepal repeatedly failed to adopt a new constitution? Because in, for example, India's Constituent Assembly was elected in the 40s, and there was able to adopt a new constitution. The constitution was adopted with the help of consensus. Do you know? You know there was no voting. All members of the Indian Constituent Assembly supported the draft of the constitution. But in the case of Nepal, it has been a multi-party system. A multi-party system, different political parties representing different communities. There are so many communities in Nepal. The people living in the plains, the river belt, are called Madhesis. The people living in the hills, they have, they belong to separate communities. So there are so many se- separate communities there. These political parties represented different communities. They were disagreed with each other. And there was no consensus on a constitution draft. So therefore, they repeatedly failed to adopt a constitution. But then in 2015, an unfortunate event did take place, which actually, you know, catalyzed the constitution-making procedure in Nepal. You know what was this event? The earthquake. The earthquake which did take place in Nepal in 2015 was a huge. Very catastrophic, did lead to a lot of damage. Nobody even till date knows how many had died. There There is no official count of how many had died. Thousands of Nepalese died in this earthquake. And the blame for this huge amount of deaths as a result of this earthquake was put on the failures of the constituent assembly that it is the failures of the Constituent Assembly that these deaths have happened. Why do you think Constituent Assembly is to be blamed? Do you think any logic in this? Why they they are to be blamed? When you have a natural disaster, what can human beings do? It's part of your UPSC's labor.
1: You have already done
0: that in your classes. What can human beings do in the case of a natural disaster? Disaster management. Disaster management. But I have a question. 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 I have So, this is what you can do. Can you prevent a natural disaster from happening? Can you stop a flood? Can you stop an earthquake? So, you can obviously. You can't stop natural disasters from happening. You can't stop a cyclone from coming. But what you can do is disaster <coughs> management. It's part of your UPSC syllabus so also. India has a Disaster Management Act, which you must have read in your G- other GS classes on DL. But uh, this disaster management can be, and what does the disaster management do? The purpose of disaster management is to minimize the losses that 1,000 dies if you do effective disaster management, you can ensure that only 10 or 20 die. This is the amount of difference what effective disaster management strategies can make. For example, you must be aware, whenever there are cyclones on the east coast of India, the because of India's disaster management policy and disaster management act, Indian authorities are very well prepared. And they ensure that no casualties are caused. But if the disaster management policies are not there, I am sure there will be many casualties. So this disaster management, like India has the National Disaster Management Act which has created a National Disaster Management Authority, there are state disaster management authorities, then they are at district levels also. All of this is implemented very effectively because India has a stable political and a federal system. There is a stable political and a federal system because that is why you can implement such policies. If you don't have a stable political and a federal system, how can you how will you implement such policies? So the constant assembly of Nepal failed to create that system because they failed to create the constitution. So the first thing to die and the first thing to vanish after the earthquake was the government. There was no government. People were left to fend for themselves. So there was no government at all, no government machinery, no federal structure which would help in the rescue of the people, and that is why the deaths during the earthquake grossly magnified and was exaggerated. India also extended a lot of help during that time. India sent NDRF, National Disaster, Res- uh, you know, response force from India to help the Nepalese during the earthquake. And then the world community got together in an international donor conference and promised Nepal that we will give you 4.4 billion dollars in order to, you know, uh, prepare the damages which have been caused by the earthquake. But then, this 4.4 billion dollars which were promised to Nepal by majority of the international donor conference were organized where. All countries collectively promise this amount of money. But then they imposed a condition that this 4.4 billion dollars will only be given if Nepal adopts a new constitution. Kisko de paisa? <laughs> 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 Who will implement the money? Okay. So you adopt a new constitution, then only this money would come and then finally constituent Assembly was able to adopt a new constitution. They adopted a new constitution. Again, the voting was held, it was not by consensus and because of a lot of international pressure and domestic pressure with the majority vote, a particular draft of the constitution was passed. So it was a celebratory movement in Nepal. They adopted a new democratic constitution. The process had started in 1990. Finally, up to 2015, 16, 25 years, 26 years, and uh, after a lot of political instability in these 25 to 26 years, Nepal have seen uh, 25 prime ministers. So many, so that reflects the political instability in Nepal. Finally, they were able to adopt a new constitution for themselves a celebratory movement, but this whole joyous environment was spoiled by the protests. There were certain communities in Nepal which were dissatisfied with the new constitution. They were very dissatisfied with the new constitution, and therefore they immediately started protesting against the new constitution. Which were these communities? These are Madhesis. These Madhesis, they, are ethnically of Indian origin and they live in the Tarai belt of Nepal. Do you know which is the Tarai belt? The Southern yeah, South Nepal. So why were they dissatisfied with the new constitution? What was the reason for their dissatisfaction? So I will have to draw a map here to make you understand. This is how Nepal
1: looks.
0: (laughs) So the new constitution of Nepal, it makes Nepal a federal country. And uh, the new Nepal, under the new constitution, has been divided into seven federal provinces. Seven federal provinces. Now we don't have to go into details of these seven federal provinces. All what we have to understand is this map which I've drawn, map or rectangle or whatever you call it. <laughs> I have only done this to make you understand, to give you some insight into how the Madhesis have a problem. So the. Logic which has been followed to divide Nepal into seven federal provinces under the new constitution has been largely a vertical division. Majority of the provinces are divided vertically, and where are the Madhesis living? In the tarai belt. This is where the Madhesis are living in the tarai Now you tell me why are Madhesis dissatisfied? They have been reduced to a minority in each of the provinces. They have been reduced to a minority in each of the provinces. This is called, in politics, this is called gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. When you divide the provinces in a way, that you deliberately discriminate against a particular community is called gerrymandering. It's a tool in politics. And uh, these are gerrymandered provinces, which are surely discriminating against the madhesis. Madhesis have been reduced to a minority in each of the provinces. They would not be able to form a government in any of the provinces. So therefore, Madhesis were furious and they erupted in protests after the adoption of the new constitution. And do you know what did they do? What was the method of their protest? They blocked all access to India. They blocked all access to India, and Nepal is entirely dependent on India for its supplies, for its trade even for the transit, if it has to, if it is a land of the country, if it has to, you know, any access to the outside world is through India. Because the Chinese border, the northern border is lofty Himalayas. Geographically very difficult to access. Whereas the southern border is much more easier. So historically Nepal has always depended on
1: India.
0: And the Madhesis imposed a blockade, an economic blockade. They stopped all the roads to India so that nothing can come from India. This resulted in severe shortages in Nepal shortages of fuel, food, and medicinal supplies. And Nepalese requested the Indian government to help, to convince the Madhesis to help them resolve this crisis, uplift the economic blockade. The Indian government sent its foreign secretary to Kathmandu to address the situation. And what position India adopted? India supported the Madhesis. India supported the Madhesis and India told the Nepalese government that you must amend the constitution in order to incorporate the grievances of Madhesis. So this uh, is what India India's position was. Why did India sympathize with Madhesis? They are of Indian origin ethnically and secondly they are the ones who are living on India-Nepal border. If they are dissatisfied, if they are, if this area is unstable, it will naturally affect India's states also which are bordering Nepal. So therefore India wanted this to resolve in a way that the, no, India's national interest should not be compromised. So India sympathized with the Madesis and this aggravated the problem in Nepal. Nepal, during this, uh, developed a strong anti-India sentiment. A strong anti-India sentiment developed in Nepal because of this blockade. And also, Nepal felt alienated from India. And what did Nepal do then? The Nepal, Nepalese prime minister, he flew to China and signed the deals with China. Nepal signed a transit and transportation treaty with China. They signed a transit and transportation treaty with China. Nepal joined the Belt and Road Initiative. And China has promised to Nepal under the transit and transportation treaty that Nepal would be given access to the Tianjin port. Tianjin port is on the Chinese coast. China has made this promise that Nepal would be given access to Tianjin port, which, which, which would act as an alternative to Haldia port for Nepal. Since then, China has been making many investments in Nepal. A transit and transportation treaty is there, these routes are being developed. China is making investments in railways in Nepal. China is making investments to open routes between Nepal and China on the northern borders. Few routes have also been inaugurated so far. So, because of this, you know, democratic crisis and the constitutional crisis in Nepal and India's position, an anti-India sentiment developed. Nepal's alienation happened, and that is when Nepal you know, actually underwent this shift and tilt towards China. This has been a matter of concern for India. India, therefore, in order to correct this, softened its position on Madhesis. India softened its position on Madhesis. And India urged the Madhesis to work through political processes rather than through agitation. India urged the Madhesis to work through (coughs) political processes rather than through agitation by participating in the elections. So the new elections which have happened in Nepal recently after the adoption of the new constitution, India asked the Madhesis to participate in the elections and find solutions to their problems with the help of a political solution rather than by agitation and protests. So India's position on Madhasi so far has softened. The new Prime Minister which has been elected in Nepal, his name is K.P. Oli. K.P. Oli, the new Prime Minister, after becoming the Prime Minister, he has made a visit to India And during that visit uh, India has agreed, India has signed certain deals with Nepal in order to help Nepal in terms of building railways. India has decided to help Nepal in building certain railway corridors. For example, the Raksal Kathmandu Railway Line, Raksal Kathmandu Railway Line. Then also India has decided to help Nepal build and develop inland waterways, inland waterways Inland waterways. So these are the few important announcements which were made during the visit of the Nepalese Prime Minister to India. One is India would help Nepal develop in certain railway projects. This one, this one has been uh, decided that all to Kathmandu Railway Link. And also help Nepal in the development of inland waterways. One important aspect of the visit was that there was No mentioning about any of the internal problems of Nepal. None of the internal problems of Nepal were mentioned in the India-Nepal joint statement or were even discussed. Why do you think this was done? Because this has earlier backfired. India interfered by asking the Nepalese to help the Madhesis Amend the constitution which resulted in an economic blockade in Nepal and caused anti-India sentiment. And China has cashed on that sentiment. So in the recent visit of KP Oli, no internal matters of Nepal were discussed. But such discussions were done. How can India help Nepal in its development? Mm-hmm. Issues of railways, inland waterways, these were discussed. Then you also must be aware that the Nepalese Prime Minister KP Oli had visited China also during his China visit. I probably might have discussed this with you in my previous class also. The Chinese have recommended a new dialogue mechanism between India, Nepal and China that is called 2 plus 1 dialogue mechanism. 2 plus 1 dialogue mechanism. What is the 2 plus 1 dialogue mechanism? The two here would remain constant, which is India and China, and plus one would vary. Plus one would vary, which is in this particular case, it has started with, it has been recommended with Nepal. Two plus one dialogue mechanism. So, you know, there has been a there there is a popular belief in India that Nepal has been trying to act very smart here. they are using the China, India card to balance China and the China card to balance uh, India. So playing both these neighbors against each other and benefiting from it. Therefore, this two plus one dialogue mechanism has been created, has been recommended, under which uh, India, China, and Nepal would have a common dialogue, common negotiation. This would uh, prevent any unruly competition between India and China. This would prevent unruly competition between India and China. This can also act as a very good example for the growth of South Asia. For the growth of South Asia, where India and China can become (coughs) twin engines of growth without any unruly competition. 2 plus 1 dialogue mechanism can prevent all of that. So this has been suggested by the Chinese in the case of Nepal. India so far has not accepted it. No 2 plus 1 dialogue mechanism has started. We have not seen that happening. But this has been under a lot of debate and discussion because it has been recommended by the Chinese. India so far has not responded. Then, like in Bhutan, we had discussed in the Bhutan Lecture, similarly in Nepal, the new democratic generation of Nepal wants a review of the 1950 Treaty. Why do they want a review of the
1: 1950
0: Treaty? This is a violation of their sovereignty. Because the 1950 treaty says that the Nepal could not get into any security relationship with the third country. Nepal cannot get into any security relationship with a third country or cannot buy weapons from any other third country. So the 1950 treaty of peace and friendship, the new democratic generation of Nepal wants it to be reviewed. They are very big beneficiaries of this treaty. Nepalese recognize that, that they are a very big beneficiary of this treaty. Why are they a very big beneficiary of this treaty? They get employment in India. They, their economic progress in India has been helping Nepal also. 600,000 Nepalese are working here. So they just want a review of it. They don't they want the treaty, the peace and friendship treaty. But they want that aspect where their defense policies dependent on India should be reviewed. Bhutan has also demanded the same, we have reviewed the treaty, 1949 treaty has been reviewed in 2007. So this is one challenge now in the India-Nepal relationship, that the the Nepalese uh, have been demanding a review of the new treaty, of of the, the 1950 treaty, which India so far has not agreed to, and also the challenge with respect to Chinese investments in Nepal, for example India has made this announcement, that China is making certain dams in Nepal. India made this announcement that we will not buy electricity from the Chinese-made dams in the Nepal. So these still remain; these certain issues are remain as challenges. But then the way, when you look at the way forward, you must understand what all I have told you in the last 30 to 40 minutes is that uh, India must. Uh, you know, develop a relationship of mutual trust and benefit with Nepal in sync with the neighborhood-first policy. In order to prevent the alienation of Nepal from India. In order to check the Nepalese tilt towards China. This is very important. A relationship of mutual trust and benefit should be developed. In order to check the anti-India sentiment and Nepalese alienation from India. That is why a lot of experts have also suggested that why not review the treaty. Review the treaty that if they want to review, do the review, do the negotiations. But you must understand that in case of Bhutan and Nepal, the situation is different. Bhutan is a country which has no diplomatic relationship with China. So India was more than willing to review the treaty as per their new requirements. But with the, Nepal, with the case of Nepal, we are more sensitive because of the China factor. The visit of K P where we have made these announcements with regard to development in Nepal, are steps in the right direction. Okay, so these are all the India-Nepal issues and the present challenges. If you have any questions, you may ask. No questions. India and China are constant; they would always remain constant. Plus one would vary. Okay. Anything else? So we should. We are only left with two countries, which is Bangladesh and Myanmar. That we will do it in next lecture, and then we'll start with U.S. and Russia. Okay. Thank you. I'll announce your timetable. Tomorrow, you must be aware your GS test number 16. 8th of April, Monday is a History class with a P. 9th April, Tuesday is a Economy class with a double S. 10th April, Wednesday is an Ethics class with a P. 11th April, Thursday is a Quality class with a S. 12th April, Friday is a Economy class with a double S. And 13th April, Saturday is a Geography class with a S. And on Sunday, 14th of April, you will have your CSAC test number 3. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: Everything, are i